0: Jesus, we need your help today to understand what your gospel declares by this grace in which we stand, that we would fully appreciate what it cost and, Lord, our response in it. We ask this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. The word grace in Greek is charis, and it is used quite often by the Apostle Paul. Paul uses this word twice as many times as the other seven New Testament writers combined. The other New Testament writers, James, Peter, Matthew, Mark, Luke, they they all used it, John, uh, a total of about 50 times. Paul himself used it 101 times. Paul loved the concept of grace and it didn't come out of the atmosphere by the Holy Spirit, Paul was in fact utilizing a term and an ideology that was known in the Greco-World Empire, the Greco-Roman world. And what's happened today is we've lost the significance and understanding of Paul's usage and what it means. And what's happened with grace is there's been an identity theft in it. What we've referenced grace as now is just simply an excuse for sin. As if Jesus is just going, it doesn't matter, I love you so much, do whatever you want. We have a lot of Christians that are behaving this way, thinking that grace is that sloppy, that this love and this extension of God to us is simply him just winking at sin and wiping it away. Hey, Jesus took care of it at the cross. Do the best you can, all right? And I'm not going to punish you because I just love you guys. And a good dad just wouldn't do that. And so we've made it so sloppy and we've misrepresented what this grace is and what it costs. And grace is much more than just unmerited favor. It is this profound synergy of a reciprocity of relationship. It's supposed to engage us into a full relationship in God that expresses the same love He bestowed to us Back unto him. Now, the Greek word for grace is charis. And what I'm going to show you, what weaves through the New Testament, uh, we're not reading Greek today, and we're missing some of the key references to the concept of this three dimensional grace because charis flows throughout the New Testament, but we have different English words for it. So we miss it. So I'm going to help you understand it this morning. So, grace is the word charis. And Paul tells us, for by charis, or for by by grace, you have been saved through faith, and it's not of yourself, it is the gift of God. This is essential. No one here saved themselves. You could not, you were dead. I was dead in my trespasses in sin. Do you know what dead means? Dead. Dead. Can't hold a conversation with a dead person. You can poke them. They do not respond. All right? So we were dead. It is only by the grace of God that you and I awoke to this gospel and the recognition that we were sinners and to the fact that God so loved the world he gave his son and that we recognize there's a Savior. I'm a sinner. There's a Savior. And by God's grace, he brought us into this knowledge. And it's a gift. It is a caress. It is favor from God. Now, come on, think about this. You in this sitting in this room, why are you saved? And half the world, if not more than that, are not saved. Why are you called out? Why have you responded to this grace, this gospel that is, as Paul says, so lavished upon us? I mean, Paul uses deep words of uh, great love. He lavished his grace, an abundant provision of charis upon us. How privileged we are as a people. Now, Paul, again, is not grasping this word out of thin air. Paul is going into a Gentile world, a world of the nations of the Greco-Roman Empire at that time. And they had a deep understanding of this concept of charis. They called it the three charises, the three graces. Maybe some of you have seen the ancient statues of three typically naked women. We dressed them up today. So uh, typically three women in a dance. And it is the charis, it is the reciprocity of the concept of grace. Because you have to understand something in the Greco-Roman Empire. They didn't have Social Security. They didn't have Medicare, Medicaid. They didn't have any governmental help for the poor, the indigent, anybody that was in need. The system they did have in place was patronage and benevolence. And so those who were wealthy and who who would esteem themselves on the behalf of the poor would give gifts of benevolence. And as they would give these gifts, cities and towns counted and relied on the benevolence of their leaders and the benevolence of the wealthy. To help them make it through and get a meal and so forth. So the concept of grace was that of favor and a gift and gratitude. And people would speak well of their benefactor. The one who who had helped them in their situation. And so this concept of grace was permeated through the, the Roman and the Greek Empire. And Paul took it and said there is a grace. There is a benefactor there is a patron who is greater than all others. It is God who took us who are blind and dead and uh, awakened us to his benevolent goodness and by no ability of our own poured out this love and grace upon us. And so that's why Paul used it because it bang, it rang right into the, the cultural system of the day. Now, over the years, we've used it and we just said, well, it's unmerited favor. God loved us, gave his son, we got it, it's good, it's just a free gift. But there's a dynamic in it that we have to, have to understand. It is this favor of the benefactor who gives. And so there's three aspects. So the first aspect is the caris or the giver. And so the patron who would give, the benefactor who would give, would never act in self-interest, but in the interest of the recipient. You see, for you to give something to someone and ex- expect something back is not very very benef- benef- What is it? Beneficial, benevolent. There's the word. Is it? Because typically, what we charge interest too. <laughs> not very benevolent, and that's why the Bible speaks against usury. And speaks against that because there's no uh, benevolence in that. So God didn't do this. He didn't give us all that he has given us because he wants something out of us. He did it because we are so desperately in the mire of sin and depravity. So when you understand this dimension of grace, you'll begin to put together the, the concepts of Calvinism and Arminianism and this difficulty between is it all grace or is it man's ability well when we look at the that the first aspect of charis there is no ability that man has whatsoever in this grace it is all god we would all be eternally lost in sin in hell if it were not for god's great grace and love to reach us And so it is all God. There will be no flesh, no human who will glory in his sight. When we all get to heaven, we're not going to go, oh, wow, there's Paul. Move over, Jesus. I want to look at Paul. Absolutely no way. In the end, we'll recognize that all that was done for Christ, in fact, he empowered us to do. That's like a little kid when he writes, I want to write a little card for mom. But the kid can't write. So dad said, okay, what do you want to say? And he writes it, and the dad writes it, and the kid goes, and then you give it to mom. And mom says, this is beautiful. Look what you wrote for me. You said this, 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 and this, and the kid didn't write it. And that does not look like a flower. It was the mediation of the father that brought to light what was in that child and, and Gratitude back to mom. And, and you and I, we couldn't glory in a sight. There's nothing we're going to do. When we get there, we're going to recognize that it is in Christ alone. That you and I have been saved. And it is the grace of God that he reached to you and I. This grace. For it is grace that we've been saved through faith. Not what? Not of yourself. It is the gift of of God it is the caris, it is the grace and caris of God who heard your cry and reached out to you and maybe some of you here this morning maybe there's someone here who is sitting in this room and you've never responded to this grace that is awakening in you that is reaching out to you that is saying I am here for you God of this universe who created all things You cannot deny the beauty of all that is around us and the order of the cosmos and and the intricate detail. That God that put all of this in order is knocking on your heart's door. That's grace. If I didn't awake to this grace, if he didn't alert me to this grace, I know I'd be dead by now. Through the idiot things that I've done and the stupidity and the self-destructive mode I've been in, I would have ended it a long time ago. Thank God for grace that is here for each one of us. Seneca, who is a Greek writer, said this, he who gives benefits imitates God. He who seeks a return is just a, many, a money lenderer. That's Greek philosophy. And again, this is what Paul is picking up on and amplifying to the greatest benefactor of all, God, who is of the greatest benefit benevolence and patronage of anyone. Doing it not for any return but only to reveal his glory and his love. Jesus talks about this in God's goodness and his grace in Matthew 5.45. He says for God makes his son to rise on the evil and the good and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. We call that common grace. Common charis. That God is so good that that living on this planet can be good. You can, in fact, ignore God completely and have a good life. Because if you put a seed in the ground, the sun will shine, the rain will fall, and it will still produce for you. This is the goodness of God. This is the common grace to all mankind. And that's how good He is. But God extends beyond that, beyond just supplying a life and and food and, and breath to all of us to live. He goes beyond that and wants a relationship with us. That's deep charis. James 1.17 says, For every good gift and every perfect gift comes from the Father of lights, with whom there's no shadow of turning or change. And so, all in all, this grace, this charis, is from one and one alone. We don't add to it. It is of God and God alone. And He is benevolent. The second aspect of charis is charisma. You've heard that term before, right? This happens to be a charismatic church. It takes the word charis, grace, and a charisma is the gift of grace. You with me? Is that good, okay. We've got three of you following me. This is good. Let's take a look at the charisma, the gift. All right, so if you have someone who's benevolent, who is pouring out and pouring out, what is it that he's pouring out? He's pouring out the charis. And by the charis that he pours out, it becomes the charisma. And so what is the charisma? Jesus. is the first gift, isn't it? John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, he... All right, so God so loved the world, he gave. You guys are weak. Come on. For God so loved the world, he gave. Don't you hate when speakers make you do that? It's like, I ain't going to respond. But then you feel obligated. I appreciate that. He gave his only begotten son and whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. What a gift. And this gift is a demonstration. I love that word. While we were yet sinners, in other words, while we were yet dead in our trespasses and sin, you didn't contribute a thing to this except needing it. While we were dead in our trespasses and sin, Christ demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We were his enemies, we had rejected him, and yet a demonstration of love. You see, there's nothing, you understand the charis in this? Do you understand the grace in this? There's nothing that, that, that you could give back uh, that he would get something out except love. This is love. And so the charisma, the gift of grace, the second aspect is Jesus. But that's not the end of it, that's just so that he could give us more. You see, he had an intention to not only just give us the charisma, the gift, but beyond the gift, he wanted to invade our lives and have relationship. And so the next gift is the Holy Spirit. Acts 2.38 says, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, you could not receive the gift of the Spirit of holiness. See, that's that's his attribute. He is the Holy Spirit. Many of us think that's his name. Holy, and his last name, Spirit. Like if you're going to write, Dear Holy. (laughs) Dear Mr. Spirit. All right? These are, uh, his nature is spirit, his attribute is holy. All right? But you and I could not have God's very nature in his spirit of holiness dwell in us while we were yet sinners, could we? So what Christ did is he died on this cross, taking our sins upon him. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And then he took the wrath of God's judgment against sin upon himself by pouring out his blood, fulfilling the law that was written against us. By putting your faith in Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. So now you're cleansed. And guess who can come into a clean vessel? The Holy Spirit. And here is the charisma, here is the gift of God's Spirit now abiding in us. In the Old Testament, the Spirit could only come upon people. But because of what Christ did, now the Spirit comes in us. And that's why we are charisma, charismatics, charismatas. But it doesn't stop there. This gift keeps on giving. And so he says that once you received Christ, you've been given the gift of righteousness. Let me read you the reference, Romans 5, 17, for if because of one man's trespass, that would be Adam, death reigned through that one man, you were born dead in sin, thank you Adam, much more will those who receive the abundant provision of grace and the free gift of righteousness, what will we do? We will reign in life through Jesus Christ. A gift of righteousness. What is righteousness? It is a right relationship with God. What did you do to fix the relationship between you and God? Nothing you could do. Except trust in what Christ did for us. And so, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. There was an exchange that took place on that cross. And so when you put your faith in that cross, you are identifying yourself, your sin, on Jesus Christ, and he is identifying his relationship to the Father unto you. And as you put faith in it, your old nature in Adam is put to death, and you rise out of those waters of baptism a new identity with a new nature, one that is right with God. Say, I'm right with God. That's righteousness. It's a gift. It is a gift. Oh, and it doesn't stop there. Isn't this awesome? This grace does not stop there because then we have the gifts, the graces of the Holy Spirit within us. This is crazy. This is a good deal here. I don't know what to tell you, but if you're not in on this thing, This is better than money, this is better than a car, this is better. Isn't it sickening what the church has made this grace into? This idea that, oh, well, if you come to Jesus, you know, just pray. You'll get a bigger car, a bigger house. You'll get more money. He'll just pour in. If you give money in the offering, he'll press down, give it back to you a 1000 bucks. It all is nothing compared to what he really wants to give you, himself and his nature. What do I need a Cadillac for when I've got Jesus, Holy Spirit, righteousness, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit? It's nice to ride in one, but you've got to pay for it, too. This is the free gift of God's grace. Just know this, the more you have, the more you've got to take care of. And you ain't taking it with you. Holy Spirit gifts, the charisma, the charisma, the charismatics. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, verse 11, we, we, we see the, the listing of the words Uh, of knowledge, and the word of wisdom, the gift of prophecy, the gift of tongues interpretation, the gifts of healing, the gifts of miracles, the gifts of signs. This is the active gifting, or graces, or goodness of God working through us For the sake of others. This gift he wants to give to you, pour into you, a right relationship with him so that you're hearing him and you're acting on his behalf and you're laying hands on the sick and you're going out and you're casting out demons and you're doing this work. That's the grace that enables us to do this. And it is a response to what's been poured into us. And this is what the church should be. But what we've made grace is a get-out-of-jail-free card. What we've made grace is, oh, I messed up again, and so God, would you forgive me? Oh, he forgives you. He's got, you got grace. And it's sad, because I'll tell you what, when you are in Christ Jesus and the Holy Spirit dwells in you and you have right relationship with the Father, the last thing you want to do is consider what sins you can get away with. You see, when you fully comprehend the grace message and what grace does, see, when I preach this grace message, people come up to me and say, Pastor, you're giving them liberty to sin. I am not. Because you're a new creation, sin is alien and foreign to you. Though your flesh may crave it, you now have the power of God in you to overcome it. So if you're trying to get away with something, my question is, are you saved? For this grace. But we're not done yet in what this grace keeps on giving. And uh, uh, let's just summarize it as Paul does. How about we throw in the kitchen sink? Listen to this in Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Wow, now that's, the, that's a gift, right? How will he not also with him... Graciously give us all things. I don't know if you're Jewish, anybody Jewish here, but Dayanu, it would have been enough. It would have been enough to give us Jesus. It would have been enough to give us Jesus so that we could have the Holy Spirit in us. It would have been enough to have Jesus, the Holy Spirit in us, and a right relationship with God. It would have been enough to have Jesus, the Holy Spirit, a right relationship with God, and the gifts of God Flowing out of us for the sake of others, as well as basically inheriting all things through Christ Jesus. Did you know that you are a co heir with Christ Jesus? You shall inherit all that is given unto the Son, shall be yours as well. What kind of grace is this? I'm telling you, He's telling us to move in with Him. It's all yours. Every star, every solar system, everything is ours. We will own it. We will inherit it. It belonged to Jesus. It's ours. We're co-heirs with Christ Jesus. That's grace. Come on, that's grace. And and, and this phrase that Paul says, he says, uh, he did not spare his own son but gave him up for us. How will he not also apart from him, also give. It's like, that's not enough that he gave up his son, but he's giving us everything. And what really bothers me with the teaching, a false teaching on grace, is, is that God just winks at sin. God doesn't, you know, just repent, say you're sorry. He's so good and gracious, he'll just give you. A... That is so contrary to the nature of what has taken place to a true believer. We agonize over our sin. We, we're so sensitive to the Holy Spirit who convicts us of our sin. And we cry out, God, change this. Break its power in my life. And we weep and so forth. But this grace that's that's cheap as if God doesn't pay for every sin. Never think that you've ever gotten away with any sin. Because every sin, no matter how great, no matter how small, was paid for through the blood of Jesus Christ. At that cross when Jesus died... Every sin that you ever committed, that I ever committed, and will yet commit, he paid for. There is no getting away with anything. And so the most profound, obscene thing you could do is reject the offer of Christ for your sin. To consider so lightly, i just say I'm sorry. I can repent tomorrow for what I'm going to do tonight. What kind of brain is that? That is not a a righteous, a regenerated person. It is the flesh. And so the third aspect, and this is absolutely essential, is gratitude. And the Greek word that you all know is eucharist. Eucharist. Now, I've been over this with you as a congregation You former Catholics get freaked out when I say Eucharist. Because Eucharist is the term we used for, the the church has historically used for communion. Right? The bread and the wine. Um, And so most people think Eucharist means the bread and the wine. In fact, the Greek word for Eucharist is thanksgiving. So it's a meal of thanksgiving. Catholics don't own it. We all own it. Catholic is a word that means universal. Okay? So all Christians own this word. And to Eucharist means to give thanks. It is the absolute necessity in the dimension of grace that there is a response. For when the goodness of God is poured out and the gift is given, if there is no response, it lays there. We must respond to this grace. Grace. And so the Eucharist is thanksgiving. It is the response to God. It is gratitude. That's why the first thing we do when we walk into this room for a half hour, we just say, thank you, God. We say, thank you, God. We worship Him. We sing songs together. We say the same words together. We give you time to just say thank you, praise you, thank you. And we just give thanksgiving to the grace that is poured on our lives. And it is absolutely essential that you have gratitude for God, that you would respond to this grace. Many think, well, I've got grace. I got saved. Now I just coast till I die. No, this grace is prompting and asking for a love response. Have you ever given a gift to someone? And they go, oh, thanks, yeah, put it in my pocket. Yeah. I'll re-gift it. This is nice. No, it demands a response, Eucharist. It's the concept of reciprocity. Reciprocity means that what you pour in should respond and grow back and give. And so there's this beautiful reciprocity. That's why those, the Greek world had those three ladies dancing, because they understood that the, the concept of grace, the charis, the three charises, is an act of reciprocity. It is a dance that is moving and dancing and interacting. And if someone is not thankful or has gratitude, the dance is broken. It is stopped, and the grace has been rejected. So essential to us and to to the ministry of God in us is our gratitude back to the Lord. To not be grateful in the Greco-Roman world was to break or to destroy the beauty of a grace act. Failure to show gratitude was one of the worst crimes and sacrilege against God. It was also injury, as they understood it, to humanity. Because ingratitude discourages the very generosity that was so crucial to public life and personal aid. How could we be so ungrateful to what God has given us? Please, consider this this morning. I, I'm sharing this with you because there is a beauty in gratitude. There's a beauty in this grace for you to stand. By grace alone. It's, it's a beauty of a response. If you want to get Fully immersed into the love of God and fully immersed into the gifts of God flowing out of you. And for you to just express gratitude to God brings you into a deep ocean of His love and His intimacy, and He will begin to pour out, and you respond, and it pours out, and you respond, and it's a love relationship. Some of you need this in your marriage. It is a beautiful covenant relationship. To to return a response back to God. The Greek word for it is pistis. And it happens to be the word faith. Faith. Faith is an action. Faith is a response. You're saved by grace through faith. A response. Faith is not just, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. Faith is living a belief, faith is walking out a belief in response to the grace and the gift of the Spirit in you, then by faith I activate the charisma that He put in me. Therefore I will pray in the Spirit. Therefore I will pray with understanding. Therefore I will prophesy. Therefore I will lay hands on the sick. Therefore I will testify and witness to who Jesus is. How could I not? Look what He's poured into me. This grace is so great. How can I stand mute in a world where everybody's extolling the virtues of sports heroes and stars and TV idols and everybody else and politicians? We wear the bumper stickers, the t-shirts, we wave flags for everybody else. But we're Christians. Again, with this kind of a pouring out of grace... Oh, come on, church, it's time that we showed some gratitude to our God and poured out like never before. Pour out. Let me give you some examples of how it was poured out in this reciprocity that Jesus saw ten leopards. They, not leopards, lepers. <laughs> that would have been a good story, too. Okay, we don't have that one. All right, so. Ten lepers, and they cry out, oh, Jesus, you know, do so, heal us, heal us. And Jesus says, go report to the high priest, because the high priest was also the local physician who would see if you were actually healed or not. So as they're going, Jesus said, be well, be made whole. And as they're going, ten left, one, one said, "Ah, I'm clean. So what happened between Jesus and going to the temple, they were cleansed on the walk. What would have happened if they didn't walk? Right? If they didn't, by faith, receive the gift of healing, if they didn't act on it they would not have been healed do you understand what i'm saying with participating in this grace you have to put some legs to it they begin to walk they get healed and one man understands the concept of grace so essential he stops in his tracks and he turns around and he comes back to jesus with such gratitude and falls on the ground and says oh thank you oh thank you and jesus says weren't there ten of you So the other nine, as far as the beauty of grace, nullified, though the goodness of God still healed them, they didn't show gratitude back. Listen, uh, we'll, we'll fail God. Even in our gratitude, we will fail. But you know the benevolence of God is he will still bless you. Isn't that amazing? Thank God. Even when we continue to fail him, he continues to bless. But what he wants back... You see, you can't imitate this. You can't, you can't fake it. What he wants back is a heart that comes back to him and recognizes. Oh, God, thank you for what you've done. Thank you. Jesus put it this way. He tells another story of the concept of gratitude and gratefulness in grace being poured out with the two debtors. Jesus went to Simon the Pharisee's house. And he had a meal with him. And then a prostitute walks into the house. Consider the boldness of this woman. This is a Pharisee's house. She was so compelled to come to Christ, she was willing to be stoned, she was willing to be chastised, she was willing to be grabbed by the hair and dragged out of that house. But she had to go see Jesus. She walked into a Pharisee's house, fell at Jesus' feet, began to weep and wash his feet in her tears. Pharisee gets up and says, what kind of prophet is this? And he knows she's a, the town prostitute. What's he letting her get away? Why is he letting her do that? And then Jesus tells a parable of a man who owed millions of dollars and a man who owed $1,000. And which one would be more grateful for the debt? Simon got it right. Oh, obviously the guy with millions. Yet he didn't even recognize his own debt of sin where the woman did Jesus said to whom much is forgiven great is the love see here's the problem most of us have not woken up enough to realize how much we've been forgiven most of us think you know we were really pretty good I didn't kill, rape, maim or hurt people I actually was a pretty nice guy But all of us, were no different than Hitler or Dahmer or anyone else. Any one of us could have gone into that place. And it, what I have found, that the more I grow in Christ and the deeper I go in the depth of love and draw nearer to Him, the more I recognize how depraved I have been. And the more gratitude I have for what He's done with me. This is grace. This is grace. And Paul says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, not to the flesh, but to live by the Spirit. This is the obligation. If He died for my sins if He put His Spirit of holiness in me, if He gave me the gift of righteousness and filled me with the gifts of His Holy Spirit, and He has also given me all things as an inheritance, I am obligated to live by what He has given me. I can't reject the gifts of the Spirit. I can't reject the Holy Spirit. I can't reject the righteousness that I'm supposed to walk in and live in. I can't reject the life that He gave me that I am now Uh, alive and born again I mean it would be like raising Lazarus from the dead having him hop out of the grave and having him suffocate right in front of you and die what did he tell him unwrap the dude do you think Lazarus was now obligated to live in this new life absolutely He's the dude that came back from the dead. He's obligated to live to the full extent that Christ gave him life. We are obligated to respond to this grace. And how we respond to it is not by sinning, not by ignoring, but extolling his virtues and being grateful for what he's done. This is the full dimension of grace That the giver God who so loved the world gave the gifts, all these gifts unto us. And we in return with such gratitude praise Him and give Him all the days of our lives. We respond to Him in a grace dance that says, thank you God, thank you, thank you. He says this in 2 Corinthians 4.15 summarizing grace so that as grace extends to more and more people it may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God that's all 3 right there all 3 aspects do you see it that this grace that god who is beneficial, uh, great benefactor. God who pours out grace for all, whosoever will. He poured out the grace. Jesus died for all. He's pouring and moving his spirit out. This grace is going to everyone, more and more people. And what's the response? There's greater thanksgiving going back to God the church is growing by leaps and bounds. You don't hear it here in the U.S. because it's dying in the U.S. But outside of the U.S., the church is on fire. It is growing across the world. And guess the the, the largest and strongest denomination are the charismatic. Maddox, the charismas, because they're using the gifts to take thanksgiving and grace out to a dying world. And so you can see this, so that as we give greater thanks to God and thanksgiving abounds, then the glory of God is poured out. And as the glory of God is poured out, more people get saved and give thanks to God. And as more people are giving thanks to God, the grace is again poured out and poured out. And it is an active response of righteousness to God. It's not an excuse for sin. Grace does not cover sin. Grace empowers you to overcome sin. And we've been robbed of this richness. The greatest thing you could do this morning, my brothers and sisters, is have a grateful heart for what Christ has done for you. Would you stand with me this morning? Father, I pray for this congregation that we will awaken to the magnitude and the abundance of your grace, that we with grateful hearts will forever, forever praise you. And in our gratitude, we will declare your goodness, which will show that grace to more and more people who will come into it and who will praise you for it. And we thank you now for that. And I would extend, as every head is bowed, that this morning, if there is anyone among us that has never received Christ Jesus, that today would be the day that you would say yes to this grace that has been calling on you, this grace that has been saying, I'm here, I love you, I have gifts for you. This morning, if you've never received Christ, we're going to have people up front at the altar after the service for you to come forward on your own and come see them and they will lead you to Jesus and assure you of salvation. So, those of you who do know Christ, it is my prayer that you will have just an overflow of joy and gratitude for what he's done for you. Share it with someone today. If you agree with that, would you say amen? amen and amen. Hold on. Amen. You may be seated. And at this time, we've got another thing we're going to do, speaking about reaching the lost and reaching out to touch lives. We want to lay hands and install our new outreach director. So we want Scott, Shell to come forward, bring Jody, your wife, with you. Anybody else you want? Come on. Elders, if you'll come at this time, we want to lay hands on Scott Shell as our new outreach director, and he is going to bring us as a church into a new place of outreach to reach the lost for this grace. Before we pray for you, Scott, our former outreach director would like to share something. Amen. Would you stand with me and extend a hand forward? And as we pray, at the end of this prayer, we're going to leave room for the prophetic, for anybody that has words that you're hearing from the Holy Spirit, for Scott, for Jody. Let us pray. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Scott, I pray for you as the outreach director that this mantle as it lands upon you ignites a fire in you for what God has been stirring for years. God has seen and heard your prayers. He knows your heart. He knows what He can accomplish through you because you are a willing vessel. And you are ready. And so as elders, we lay hands on you and we say we believe in you. We know God's going to use you. We pray for Jody. We know you're a team. We know that God is going to use the both of you and God is going to give you visions and dreams. God is going to show you the way to walk and where to walk, the mouths to feed, the hearts to minister to, and to the nations that are calling for our help. May God give you unique insights that you would not imitate anyone else but who God has made you to become. And we lay hands on you in confidence. And with joy to see this take place. In Jesus' name, we install you as the outreach director. Hallelujah. Let's just wait on the Lord. you have a word from the Lord go ahead if not we'll move forward don't come up to me later and say oh pastor where's my prophets in this house Lord.